I'm Lara Land, somatic coach and yoga teacher trainer, and this is the Beyond Trauma podcast. What a couple of years we have had. The challenges continue to grow, and more and more of us are experiencing some level of traumatic stress. My commitment here is to bring you the most up-to-date insights on exactly how trauma affects our mind-body-spirit system and how we can work with our bodies to soften its impacts. You will be hearing from trauma survivors and researchers, and together, we are going to incorporate what they have to teach us to heal ourselves and promote the well-being of all those around us. Here we go. Okay, folks, welcome back. And here we go. One of the things I wanted to do with this podcast is not just have the quote unquote experts on, but also create a space for survivors to tell their stories should they want to. And we had a a few trauma survivors on the show early on, Samantha Lucas and Marcy Tropin, in case you want to go back into the archives and listen to those. This conversation is a little bit more intense. It is highly centered around my guest's story. So please make sure you're resourced if you're listening. As you will hear, D'Angela Alberti is a survivor of extensive domestic violence and sexual abuse. Over one year ago, she was able to free herself from this abuse and is currently using her voice and her talents to advocate for others in similar situations. She does so through sharing her story and by helping trauma survivors reconnect to their personal power through her business, Emotional Rebirth. D'Angela Alberti is a lifelong learner, a criminal justice graduate, a domestic violence and sexual abuse advocate, a meditation and yoga teacher, energy healer, and business owner. Choosing to focus on her physical wellness, D'Angela became a certified health and wellness coach in September of 2021. She has 200 plus hours of yoga training, ranging from vinyasa focus to trauma-informed practices. And she completed the Three and a Half Acres Yoga Nonprofit Trauma-Informed Yoga Teacher Training with me. If you haven't checked out the nonprofit yet, please make sure to look at all we're doing. And of course, at D'Angela's links in the show notes. Also, make sure you hang on to the end because D'Angela gives some really, really great practices for helping with PTSD, for grounding in present moment, and my favorite, her unique take on affirmations. Okay, here we go. So I thought that we could start by you telling folks how the two of us met and how we came to work together. Great. Yeah, of course. Great. Yeah. So, I mean, it all started with when I was being trained by Universal Power Yoga, the owner had known me, had known about my trauma history and everything. And she had said that she had received an email from a company called Three and a Half Acres Yoga and that this would be perfect for me and I could get trained by them. And I immediately just jumped on that and sent an email and applied and went into the first training that was available, which was just a couple of weeks away from when I got the email. And it just worked out so perfectly because 
the volunteer exchange of, you know, I could get trained by volunteering my time, but still get that certification. So I thought that that was amazing. And then, so that's where we first met was through that training, which was in September of 2021. And I had done all of the volunteer work for my certification. So I think that was about 52 hours. So I had done many things along, you know, the lines of administration work or putting some videos together of just from my personal experience from the training. And then I became, you know, I did my co-teaching hours, my observation hours, and I did all of that. And then through there, I think I just really wanted to work with you with everything that your message is about. It was extremely inspirational. And you were always talking about how this was an exchange. And I never felt that you were like an authoritative figure. I felt like we were, you know, very much on equal playing fields in whatever we did. So I thought that that was, you know, very respectable. And I wanted to just be a part of that as much as I could. So when there was coaching opportunities and the program coordinator opportunities, I really just jumped on that. And I've loved everything that I love to be a part of Faye and just everything that Three and a Half Acres, you know, represents. And I'm happy to be a part of it. So I really just want to thank you for oh, that was for so everything. nice. I hadn't had a chance to hear that. Hear that? That's so nice. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, that recount and and thank you for that. Of course. Yeah. So, I mean, I think people know, but for folks who might not know mm-hmm. about the nonprofit Three and a Half Acres, which we'll for sure have in the show notes, is the nonprofit that I formed in early, early 2015. And as you were explaining, one of the things that we do is train yoga teachers in trauma sensitivity. And we try to make it really accessible for yoga teachers. So we offer trade for the training where, um, you know, you can have the training for free or for kind of reduced rate in exchange for doing these volunteer hours. And actually it's great because you get to practice teaching and hone your skills. And then as you were saying, you get to do other volunteer opportunities, not just teaching, but sometimes social media or doing some videos, (laughs) you know, in true, um, grassroots nonprofit, you know, form. We uh, we have a little bit of everything going on. And then you've, from my perspective, you've just been such a pleasure to get to know and work with. And, you know, just one of those, some people go through the training and you don't really hear from them again, but some people really shine and are just, you can feel that they're, they're into it and they're available. And, you're definitely one of those people that, and your teaching's phenomenal every time I've observed you. So when we've had a opening at the organization for a paid position, I was really glad that, that we could offer that to you. And that's, you know, that's the model and the goal of the nonprofit. Yeah, it's beautiful. I've loved every second of it. It's really great. I love what you're doing. Hmm. Well, thank you. It's been a challenge since COVID, so as you know. So yeah, we're going to hope that uh, someone listening can help us <laughs> with yeah. some funding. Exactly. But we're going to keep it going. We're going to keep it going because of all the people that it's helping. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, just talking to you makes me remember that. So, yeah, so we met through that and we have kind of all these multi-layered and like you said, yeah, very 
person to person equal relationships. And you had mentioned to me that you wanted to come on the podcast. We've been sharing that this podcast started with all our teachers at Faye and you reached out and said, you know, I really should be on this. And you wanted, I know, to share your story. Yes. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I know that that there is a lot of trauma in that story. So I want to just, A, make sure listeners know that. If you're not resourced today, think about if this is the right time to hear that. And of course, I want to check in with you, D'Angela, and make sure, you know, even though we said we'd be here at 8 p.m. on this day, you know, we have to allow for that we're human. And I want to, you know, make sure that you're feeling resourced and that you know that you're in, you know, in choice this whole conversation and can share as much or as little as you would like to. Yeah, of course. I appreciate you checking in and I have my water and I have my breath and I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm going to like kind of hand it over to you and mostly listen. I mean, of course I'm going to, I'm going to jump in and I have some questions, but you know, why don't you sort of tell us what you wanted to share? Yeah. I mean, I think that I'll be 31 next month and there's a lot that I have experienced since birth. So I was born into domestic violence. I'm the youngest of four children. And my parents experienced a ton in their upbringing. And then by the time that I was born, there was already a lot of violence taking place in the home. So then I was born into that. So just experiencing everything that my mom was feeling while I was in the womb. And then I was just kind of brought up in this world, thinking that my surroundings, everything that I saw and witnessed was just normal behavior. And this is just the way of the world. So that was just a lot of physical violence. There was a lot of sexual abuse. And I witnessed a lot as a child from what my mom went through, but I also witnessed my older siblings, a lot of what they had to go through. And then that just kind of went on to me. And my memory comes back in bits and pieces. There's some things that I'll never forget. And then there's some things where it just kind of comes back in bits and pieces. And I've had to experience a lot of this work through therapy to try to like get some memories back But yeah, just growing up, it was really intense. And like I said, a lot of the violence was just normalized. So I just thought that this was how a family was supposed to be. My dad being extremely violent towards my mother and then my mother experiencing a lot of reactive abuse towards my father and then getting all of the children involved. And I'm talking, I'm age four having to step in and protect my mom or my older sister or my brother. And it was a really small house and everybody just knew everything about one another. So with that upbringing, it didn't really set me up in a way where I understood how to kind of be in the world. So I didn't really know how to make friends. I knew I wanted to make friends though. Like I knew I wanted to get out of the house and talk to other people. I just didn't really know how to do that. So I was very just overbearing to some people and just, hi, I'm D'Angela, be my friend. Some people reacted really well with that and others 
didn't. So it was very 50-50 the way it was going to go. But I made friends with a lot of my neighbors just for like a safety route. So that's really how I got fed. And that's where I felt safe was when I was around my neighbors. And I would be riding my bike around five, six, seven years old to these neighbors' houses. And we lived on a main road, so it really wasn't the safest thing to be doing. But I just knew that that was my safe place. So wow. yeah, that was that was a, real, a lot of the upbringing. And then, like I said, it was hard to like make friends. But the friends that I did make, they didn't really ask a lot of questions. They just kind of were like, okay, she needs us. And the parents just kind of helped. And um, yeah, like I said, that's kind of how I got like fed and, and housed most of the time when I could escape from the violence of what was happening. But like, like, you know, I didn't really know that this was violence. I thought that this was normal, but I knew I didn't want to be in it either. So mm. it was just really confusing for me. <laughs> I don't know if you have a question or if you want me to keep going. I was wondering if the F those neighbors knew what was going on. I never like asked them because I don't think I knew what was going on really. Yeah. I think a couple of times they were like, oh, is it okay with your parents if you're here for dinner? Or because sometimes I would go there right after school. Like maybe I wouldn't even sometimes get picked up from school. So I would walk, you know, to someone's house or just get in the car with one of the friends and, and just stay there for dinner. If it was the neighbors and I got home, if I was able to get home, then I would just go to the neighbor's house right after school. So like, you know, 2.30 and I wouldn't go home until around 8, 8.30 at night. So sometimes the parents would just want to be like, hey, is this, is this okay with your parents? But they didn't have, they didn't ask my parents. Like they weren't like, so I don't really know if they knew. I mean, I've connected with them since sharing my story because I've shared my story very publicly and I've connected with some of these parents that were my neighbors and, you know, they had no idea really what was going on. Yeah. And they just said, you know, they wished that they knew so that they could help more. So when did you realize that this was not normal? I realized it wasn't normal. <laughs> um, I think I had like a little bit of an understanding as I started to become a teenager. Like some of my friends would pick up on some stuff when they would come over. And sometimes they would just be like, oh, maybe this is just a really loud family. Or, you know, maybe this is just normal. Like they didn't really ask me like, oh, are you okay? Because like my parents would kind of make it funny, like light and funny as if they were like jokesters about this, even though I was like heavily being abused. So I think I started to pick up on some signs as a teenager. And when I tried to voice those concerns, I was, you know, even like ridiculed even more. So it didn't really go over very well, but I tried to leave my family for the very first time. As soon as I turned 18, I actually chose to become homeless I actually lived in a tent in the winter time. I packed my bags on Christmas Eve and I was like, I can't do this anymore. And so I lived, I was homeless and I, and it was like a mile down the street away from my family's house, but I didn't understand the logics of it. I just was like, I had to get away from the abuse. So that's just what I chose. And then I lived kind of from place to place after being homeless up until I was around like 20. And then I went, well, my family kind of found me. They found me and then had me go back into that situation. 
around 20, 21 years old. And then I felt like I needed to stay with them because I went against them. So I felt like trapped as a young adult living there. So again, I think I was kind of starting to pick up that it wasn't healthy, but I just didn't really know how to get out of it either. Wow. So you had over two years living in the tent and where you, you were picking up some jobs? Yeah, I lived or? in the tent for like three months until a really awesome friend, I asked her to kind of hang out and showed her where I was living. And she said, okay, well, no, you can't live like this. And, and I went and lived with her and I just bounced around areas. I lived with a few other people. And then I tried to like become roommates with a couple of other people. I was working at many different places. I worked my way all the way up to, I like walked into a Dunkin' Donuts one day and I said, I really need to work here. And I was just a crew member. And then I worked myself all the way up into being a manager at Dunkin' Donuts. So I went like pretty big in that industry for those two years. But then once my family found me, they tracked me down. I just kind of quit everything, left all of those people and then went right back into my family. Mm. So while you were gone, you didn't have any therapy? No, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know that existed really because... My family kind of took that. They didn't really like educate me on those things. I think because the abuse, that's the only thing I can think of now is like, maybe they didn't want me to say anything or they just didn't, maybe they didn't know about it. I'm not sure, but I didn't really have the words. And I was in really abusive relationships because again, like what I experienced, I thought this was all normal. So yeah, maybe share. And we know that this cycle is very common. And I don't know if you know the stats on that, but mm-hmm. that's quite normal. How did, how, did, how did that come about? So as a young kid making friends, they weren't the best. Some were really good friends and some weren't. Some were already like I was being bullied at a young age or peer pressured and like sexually harassed and sexually abused. And that was all around like age 13. And then I was really young. So I started high school at 13. I was a freshman in high school at age 13. And then my birthday is in September. So I turned 14 a little bit, a couple of weeks into school. But I was really young and I had just started dating older boys. And then just, again, I didn't really have a lot of like self-respect or self-love. And because I was experiencing sexual abuse at such a young age, because I was also being sexually abused in the house with my family. So then I became very hypersexual and kind of used that to like numb myself. And then that's why I got involved with a lot of abusive partners. And then one of my abusive partners had said like, oh, have you ever tried, you know, like substances before? And so they introduced me to marijuana and alcohol. And so I started numbing myself through sex and marijuana and alcohol. And then that's really how my life kind of went about for about six years. And so like when I was homeless, I was addicted to marijuana and just the numbing. I was in and out of abusive relationships, but when I was homeless living in a tent, that boyfriend was really abusive. I I mean, there's no comparing of what abuse was worse, but I think I was leaving my family, the abuse of my family to then just like try to move on to a a 
another abusive relationship. Like it was, it's just really hard to explain if this makes any sense, but it was just like, this is all I knew. So I would just continue to be friends and have relationships with this, with abuse and just thought that this was all I was good for. And yeah, it wasn't until, I mean, a ton happened, but it wasn't until I became pregnant with my oldest when I was 23, where I've been sober for seven years. And then I really started to, things just really started to start to make sense for me where I was picking up on, okay, maybe this isn't the way my life is supposed to go. Like I'm a mom now, I'm going to be a mom now. And I have to figure out how to love myself. But it was just really hard because my children's father was really abusive too. And then I was still around my family. So I didn't really know how to get out of that. So what really helped me finally was therapy. But that therapy didn't really happen until I got pregnant with my son because it was I was really just trying to be a better person when I found out I was a mom. Mm, So that becoming a mom gave you something to grow for. Yeah. Yeah. And so you decided to seek out therapy. How did Mm -hmm. you find a therapist? Well, the way I went about it is when I found out that I was pregnant, the way I found out I was pregnant was I was, you know, at a hospital because I had gotten injured on my, at a job I was doing, which I was a security officer, which again, I kind of worked my way up. I went back to school. I tried to motivate myself after being homeless. And I knew that I was, a, I, I could become a manager. So I definitely have some skills. So I again, went to school. I went to school for criminal justice. I knew I wanted to do something. So I became a security officer. And then as I was working in security, I had fallen while on the job. I went into the hospital and then that's where I found out I was pregnant. And then the hospital has a job to do. And they're asking like, do you feel safe at home? And that was, that question is really what kind of like initiated everything. I didn't know how to answer it. And then they're just trained professionals. And so they got me a social worker. And again, I didn't really know how to answer their question, but they were trained enough to, to know that maybe I don't know how to say this, but I need a social worker. And so they started giving me resources for nonprofits. So New Hope, that was a really big one that really helped me. And so I started getting one-on-one counseling that way. So this was all for free. And then they referred me to, through my insurance, another counseling. Something that kind of was difficult was because I watched my mom and my dad stay together throughout all of this abuse, like they would abuse each other. And then within the same breath, say they loved each other. So I thought that that was normal behavior. So when my children's father would abuse me, and then he would tell me he loved me, I thought that I had like a moral obligation to stay with him because he was my children's father. So I tried everything and I I tried couples counseling with him, but then in couples counseling, he started to admit that he was like heavily abusing me because when I found out I was pregnant, I was actually all of my children's, I have three children, but all of my children were conceived by sexual abuse, but I just didn't really know that at the time. 
because again, I watched my mom be sexually abused. So I just thought that that's like what a woman was supposed to do. And so I didn't think I could say no. And even if I did say no, like even if my body language was saying no, or my words were saying no, it wasn't something that was possible or my voice just wasn't important. So there was a lot of coercion taking place. And my trauma responses were usually fawn or freeze. As a teenager, it was fight, but I kind of bounced around like, and then flight, obviously I became homeless and everything. So I kind of took on all four trauma responses, but yeah. So the therapy, I tried couples counseling, obviously that didn't work out, but it was the hospital that I gave birth to my son at that really started to make it make sense to me. They started using words along the lines of you're being raped. And I didn't know that this was real. I didn't really know that that's what was happening because he would come into the hospital and try to sexually abuse me at the hospital and physically abuse me at the hospital. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So they had to call the Boston police many times and then they had to keep my name safe. So I didn't have, I wasn't allowed to like use my actual name when I gave birth to my son. And then my son, he was named a different name as well. But my children's father ended up being trespassed from the hospital and then child protective services started to, you know, they were already like ready to, I just had to give birth before they could actually um, become a part of my life. But I mean, the best news about all of this is that my kids have always been able to stay with me throughout this entire time, because I think everybody has been able to recognize that I'm trying (laughs) and I've come a really long way. But I think when I was with my children's father and I kept holding on to hope, they were concerned, which is valid (laughs) Um, because I kept going back to him. So yeah. And in that case, there could have been a danger that they would have removed the kids from here. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that was their number one concern as soon as, you know, especially when they started to see that he would openly abuse me in public too. So they were really concerned and I just really wasn't seeing it at the time. I just kept trying to make it work. And again, being brought up in a house where the mom and the dad were actively abusing one another. And then at the same breath saying that they loved each other. I just thought that's what I was supposed to do. And this is just what love was. Yeah. I'm sure you, (laughs) I hear you saying that a, a few times and I, and I can recognize that it's probably something you've come across where folks just want to ask, why didn't you leave? And mm-hmm. yeah. And, and, like, um, and I think hopefully our listening audience is um, a little bit more keyed into why a person wouldn't leave. And, and like you said, there, you know, you, you hadn't seen another way of, of couples being together. And it sounds like there was also a lot of guilting and yeah. And we know abusers are always, this is the last time and, or it's that, or right. Or if you leave me that then this will happen. I mean, there's every kind of psychological warfare going on. It's really interesting. And, you know, kudos to that hospital because where I live up here, I'm now, you know, in the Catskills and I guess there must be a, a fair amount of domestic abuse because they are asking constantly here in a way. Um, my doctor's here asking all the time, you know, sometimes where I'm like, guys, I'm good. And, but now I can really, you know, not have that attitude, but really 
realize that someone, because I always thought those are kind of routine questions. I never gave mm-hmm. it the deeper thought, D'Angela. Thank you. Like that actually could be the question that starts the beginning of someone realizing that they're not okay. Yeah. That question really made my wheels start turning. And I was like, well, what is it like to be safe at home? Like I was like, I didn't, I didn't think that was even an option. So when they asked me that question, I, they, and they could see, again, these are trained professionals and they immediately were just said to, you know, it was, it was a male doctor and he had a, a female nurse and they just both looked at each other and it was like, they knew like, okay, go grab a social worker. And then a social worker came in and they started asking me a bunch of questions and I just started telling them and, and they were rightfully concerned about me and my baby, of course. And I was only five weeks pregnant at the time. I was 23, but I felt like I was about 14 because my brain, you know, all, all of the trauma that I experienced, I didn't really feel like I was a 23-year-old woman. I felt like I had like my my growth was stunted with all the trauma that I went through. Mm-hmm. So I was really confused and I knew that I wanted to be a mom. I knew that I was, I was going to be a parent, but I think that's what also concerned them. And then when they started hearing about my home life and how I got pregnant and cause I didn't have the terminology back then. So I was just kind of saying this as if this was normal and they're just taking notes and saying like, this is not. And then when they started meeting him, cause he tried to like come to the hospital and come to my appointments a few times. And, and that's how they started witnessing this. Like, okay. And, you know, he had given me STDs and really started jeopardizing my pregnancy. I started dilating at 20 weeks. I was born with a open and short cervix. And so at the hospital, when they told me that I was pregnant, they said, most women can have intercourse during pregnancy, but your anatomy does not allow that. And then when he would come to the appointments, they would say it in front of him and he would say, okay. And then as soon as we would get back in home, like away from the hospital, he would start sexually abusing me to the point where I started dilating at 20 weeks. I was one centimeter at 20 weeks. And then I went into the hospital, well, they ambulanced me to the hospital. And then I started getting to three centimeters. And then at 26 weeks, I was seven centimeters. And they said that they were going to have to deliver the baby. So for my safety and the baby's safety, I lived at the hospital all the way until I was 36 weeks and that's when I gave birth to my oldest. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing. The hospital took you in. I guess that was probably the best thing that could have happened. Yeah. It was the only, like they didn't feel safe, like releasing me anywhere else, like with my parents or with him or, and they were looking for shelters. They were actively looking for shelters. I mean, the social worker came in every day. I mean, I knew all the nurses ships. I mean, they all knew me by first name. Yeah. They just, they didn't have, they couldn't jeopardize me going to go live at a shelter and then him finding me or me giving birth. Yeah. And so they just said the right thing to do is just keep you here. So, so then kind of move us forward. That was your first child, right? Yeah. That was my oldest son. Yeah. My first child. And so it took some time and, you know, again, I think our listeners will know that it's not like, Oh, I just realized something bad's been happening and now I'm, I'll leave my abuser. So you have two other children. Right. So it took some time. What happened like during that time and what sorts of therapies and maybe embodied practices did you find and what 
allowed you or helped you to get to the point where you've finally able to be free of this abuse for, I think it's over a year, right? Yeah. So my children's father was arrested in 2019. And then I left my parents and that whole side of the family in early 2021. And what would you say were the kind of the the practices, the therapies that helped you to get strong enough for that? Or, or maybe it wasn't that, maybe it was other factors. Well, what helped me start to realize for real <laughs> this time was when he got arrested in 2019. And, you know, Child Protective Services were going to try to take, at that time, I was pregnant with my third and he is the father of all three of my children. So I went back to him many times. And yeah, once he was arrested, then the police, so the town I was living in, they had a domestic violence police officer. And so, you know, he was arrested for strangulation and suffocation. So I was lucky to be alive. So they had sent the sergeant and then a domestic violence police officer over to me asking me a lot of questions and giving me a lot of paperwork. And so we, we, they did a timeline with me of like trying to figure out like when all this stuff happened and all that. And then I think that was like really starting to just make sense to me where it was like, oh, wow, like this has been going on this long. I really need help. And so that domestic violence police officer really educated me on where I go now, like who do I talk to now? And then Child Protective Services obviously let me keep my children, but they gave me a lot of resources. So I started working with New Hope again, Voices Against Violence, Dove, and I live in Massachusetts. So these are all like Massachusetts names and organizations. But all those organizations were able to really help me and and get me to where I needed to go. Because another reason why I didn't leave him was because his family had money and they would use that against me and say like, how are you going to take care of these children? He's the one who provides for you. So like we had gotten a house together, but he had paid for the house and he had helped with the mortgage and he had bought the groceries. And so I just, I felt trapped in a sense and I didn't know how I was going to leave that. So this domestic violence police officer helped me with figuring out how to get food stamps and cash assistance. And then she said, well, Hey, you know, D'Angelo, you are very educated and I want to remind you of that. You know, you have your bachelor's degree in criminal justice. And when you were experiencing all of this abuse with your family and that boyfriend at the time, you worked your way all the way up to becoming a manager at Dunkin' Donuts. Like you are fully capable. So I had to like go through a lot of therapy to understand that I actually was a capable person. And then I was able to really figure out that I wasn't this like worthless individual that I was kind of programmed to believe. And then I found yoga. Yoga really helped me. And I found yoga through the Universal Power Yoga where I was trained back in 2014. I went a couple of times and then everything just kind of kept bringing me back to yoga. I would like come across, like even when I was being heavily abused, I would come across like YouTube videos of yoga with Adrian. I would just like get maybe 30 minutes of doing yoga with Adrian and and then that would just kind of remind me to kind of like, okay, I, I am valuable and, you know, I, I am capable. And then I found out about coaching and coaching is really what did it for me. Coaching is 
you know, this was like mirror work, you know, standing in front of a mirror and having affirmations. Affirmations are like affirmations, but you say what if in front of them. So for a long time, I couldn't look in the mirror and say, I am capable. I just didn't believe it. So I started off with what if I am capable? Mm. What if I am lovable? And when I started saying what if, it gave me a sense of hope. And I started to say like, okay, I could get to that place. And now I can openly and like actively say I am capable in the mirror and believe it, you know, but it took a long time to get there. So the information's really helped me, but I had a coach every day to help me for six months. And it, but that was an elementary school friend who had started to figure out a little bit about what I was experiencing. But again, she was a child, so she didn't really know what I was experiencing. But once I started talking about it, she said, this makes a lot of sense. And so she was you know, there for me through it. And then that's when I had figured out that, oh, I can go to school for this again. And, and I can become a coach and, and I can get trained in yoga teacher training and I can become a meditation teacher. And, you know, I started to figure out that I can do all these things too. And so I got all my certifications and everything that I have now. And now I have my own business. And I mean, there's so many opportunities for me and it all came down to me finally being able to believe in myself. But again, it took a long time because I really did feel like I was dirt on the bottom of a shoe Mm. and that's all I was. Mm. Yeah. And I want to ask you about all those things that you're doing now. But just before we get to that, first of all, thank you for that information. That's fantastic because a lot of negative outcomes that can happen from saying affirmations when you don't really believe in them, like even if you can say them, if there's something in your mind that's like, yeah, right, it can actually backlash. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people who are using affirmations, I always tell people to be like a little more careful with that, that this is makes a lot of sense and a great like take it home practice that everyone can use. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so just before we get to all the great things you're doing and you're doing like such great things, I mean, you really are helping so many people and you've turned your sort of heartache and your, you know, all the suffering into helping others. I just want to ask you about yourself. Like, I know you suffer from PTSD. Yeah. I know obviously these things don't just go away and we have good days and bad days. And, and I wonder just what are the practices that you're using in your own life to keep you feeling balanced and to help you stay in this positive place? And um, obviously you have three kids. I have one kid and <laughs> I, mean, I can get sometimes like by the end of the day. So, you know, like what do you, what do you do to keep kind of regulate your nervous system and to watch out for like when you might be dysregulated? Yeah. So I actually, um, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but when talking to me, I wear this necklace that looks like a a straw, almost like it's like a wooden stick and it is called a stress straw. And I wear it around my neck all the time. And the reason why I wear it is because I just remind myself to breathe, which I know like it sounds silly to some people, but I really do have to remind myself to breathe because of everything that I've experienced, sometimes I would really just forget to breathe. So that's why I love when I'm teaching yoga and I just remind, I remind myself and I remind the students to just inhale and exhale because it was not something that was taught to me growing up. 
so yeah, this stress straw is just, I, I just remind myself, okay, I need to take a, a deep breath and I just, you know, put it towards my mouth and then I just inhale and exhale. And I do that for quite some time until I feel like I'm back into my body. I also do a lot of things where I try to connect to my inner child as much as I possibly can. So I don't know if you remember these, but growing up, there were like these little origami games that you could do where you would write on the paper, like numbers and then colors. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I do that and it's like a little fortune teller origami game and I like pick which one and then, but for all the answers, they're grounding skills. So if I land on like a two, then I need to hold on to my amethyst crystal. So that's like my sensory and that, you know, just, I start to feel like the edges of the crystal and or then maybe I land on the number three and I have to go into my freezer and get the frozen oranges and hold on to the frozen orange and then let it fall in my hand and then, you know, carefully peel the orange and then smell the citrus. So I put like a bunch of those one through eight on the little game. And, you know, again, that's really helping my inner child. And then that's just grounding me back into the present moment. That's something to do if I'm at home and I have it, or I keep one in my wallet. It's almost like it's um, a grounding bag that I have with me, like in my diaper bag, where I keep like a little like rough rock and I keep an essential oil that will I'll be able to smell it's like mint so that I can smell it. You can also call it like a trigger kit. So like when I'm feeling triggered, I just go to this little bag and then I just pick the things that I'm needing to do in that moment to kind of bring me back to reality. And my oldest son, you know, he has PTSD as well. He wears a stress straw. So those are just some things that I do. The other things I'll do is I'll just, you know, if I'm anywhere in public and I don't have access to my trigger kit or even just the awareness to find my stress straw, I'll just start to look at things around me and just start to say like, okay, what do I see that's blue? okay, I see a blue bag. And then I start to think about the bag and how big the bag is. Like, those are just things that kind of bring me back to reality. And if, and if I'm capable, maybe I'll, I'll take a nice deep breath. And I, I like my ocean breaths. Those help me. So there's a ton of things that I'll do in the moment. If I'm like really stressed out about my kids, I'll just say openly, like I need, I, mommy needs space. And then I'll just kind of leave the room and then make sure everyone's safe and then kind of keep myself at a distance so that I can get my space and then come back and be able to, which I do this many times throughout the day. Yeah. <laughs> I get really stressed out. All the moms can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Those are all really um, helpful, concrete practices that you shared with us, D'Angela. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, of course. And um, I hope that you've also been able to um, have examples of more like loving relationships and healthy relationships Mm -hmm. around you. I know that you're creating that and breaking the cycle for this next generation. Mm -hmm. That's really a beautiful thing. Yeah, I think once I was able to, you know, find my voice, I started sharing my story publicly May of... 2021. So it's been a little over a year now. And, you know, I've been on the news. I have a really great audience on TikTok. 
and I've just been sharing the gifts. I just, I just want to show other trauma survivors that it's okay to share, you know, because growing up, it was like, I had to keep all of these deep, dark secrets in my family and to myself and think that I was going to get in trouble if I said anything. And some people aren't at the place where they can say things. So I just almost give a little bit of hope to whatever their voice is in that moment, you know, that their voice matters and there isn't a right way to share your story or a right way to use your voice. Mm -hmm. But I've really enjoyed finding what my voice is and being that inspiration to other people because I really needed that. And, you know, I had mentioned that Voices Against Violence was something that I was able to receive help from. And now I'm at the other end of it. And now I answer the hotline for domestic violence and sexual abuse victims and survivors. And so I used to be the one on the other line asking for help. And now I'm at the other line, you know, giving the help. So it's pretty powerful. Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful. And share with us the other things that you're doing, your business and... Yeah, my business is Emotional Rebirth. And I had mentioned that six months of coaching that I got and I had received from an elementary school friend. You know, I got all that training and just used all the resources that I was able to get and created my own business to put all of these tools that I learned into a 12-week program for trauma survivors. So I have a lot of different ways that it can be done. You know, like I said, I have a, a pretty great audience on TikTok. So if any of the money that I get from TikTok, I use that as a scholarship fund so that if there is a trauma survivor who really needs help, but they can't afford my services, then they can get into that scholarship fund and have that be how they get resources. And we do a lot of one-on-one coaching with the mirror work that I talked about, the affirmations that I talked about. We talk about, you know, how you can respect your body. So I help them just really be able to get a hold on what their sleeping is like, what they're eating, what they're putting into their bodies, if they're drinking enough water, what are they doing to move their body every day? We talk about how stress is and emotions are being stored in our bodies. And so we just have to find 20 minutes of active conscious movement every day. So I help them through yoga if that's what they want to do, or I just help them find out what that physical practice is for them. You know, is it walking or is it cardio at a gym or is it dancing? It could be anything as long as you're actively and consciously moving your body for 20 minutes a day. So we find what that is for them. And then we really just focus on getting out of survival mode. That's where I lived. That's where I was comfortable for years. It was just, okay, eat, sleep, and like, don't die. Like that's literally where I was for many years, but that's not really a fun way to go about life. So we just start to like figure out what, what is home, you know, home's not a place. What's the feeling we create vision boards. We we try to figure out what our triggers are so that we can have a little bit of education on whenever something happens, like, oh, okay, this is something that triggers me. Why does it trigger me? A lot of my clients will be in therapy. So whatever they experience with their therapy, they kind of bring to coaching and they say, you know, this is what the therapist is having me do. 
I just don't really know how to do it. So can you help me with that? That's a really good point. Just to yeah. interrupt you, but um, a lot of people think like, oh, I need a therapist or a coach or a, like you're explaining some sometimes. Yeah. I mean, maybe you can expound on that, like kind of practice a therapist might give someone and they don't actually know how to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I experienced that a lot when I was receiving therapy and, you know, I'm still in therapy and I, I love my therapist, you know, but sometimes therapists are just really busy and they have so many clients and I think my therapist has like 45 clients. And so they have to figure out everything about those 45 people and remember it and then give their time to these people when they have very similar stories to mine, you know? And it's like, we have to be able to kind of help all of these people at the same time. And it can become very overwhelming for the therapist. So (laughs) they're giving us these great tools to be utilized. And then we're only given about 45 minutes to an hour a week. And we're trying to also play catch up with the therapist. So it's like so much happened in that week. So we're really just kind of telling them, oh, well, this is what happened this day and this is what happened this day. And then we really don't get to, did we utilize the tool and do you know how to utilize the tool? So that's where coaching comes in because I'm working with the client every single day for 12 weeks. And I use an app called Boxer. So it's kind of like a walkie talkie where they're talking to me regularly throughout the day. And then we do Zoom calls. So that's really in my opinion, the difference of therapy, which again, most of my clients are in therapy and then I'm still in therapy and therapy is amazing. It's just, there needs to be a little bit more time in therapy and insurance doesn't really give that to you. I mean, sometimes they give you twice a week therapy, but even twice a week therapy, it usually ends up becoming a talk therapy. I know some people have, I've done EMDR, which is great, but you still need that constant support and a therapist isn't really set up to be that because they just have so many other people that they have to tend to. Yeah. Just, just a great point about how those two practitioners can work together. I think that's fulfilling the gaps and, and some of the things a coach does are slightly different where they, they might have different tools and yeah, it's great to work with kind of a, many practices and see what what works for you. So tell us a little bit about, I mean, you know, how to find you if someone wants to work with you or, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so my website is emotionalrebirth.com. And then, like I said, you know, I have my audience on TikTok. So that's just my first and last name. So it's just D'Angela Alberti. And then it's the same thing for my Instagram. And, you know, I answer all messages and everything. I do the best I can to talk with anyone who reaches out. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to even become one of my clients. I help as many people as I can. So if you're at a place where you can't even, you don't have the time maybe to receive the coaching and have access to the scholarship, but you just need help with resources. If you feel comfortable with, you know, explaining the state that you're in, I will help you figure out, okay, just like what I went through, like nonprofit organizations that will give you free one-on-one counseling for either if it's domestic violence or sexual abuse or any type of trauma. I work with, um, you know, addicts and recovering addicts. So that's something else that I've started to work with too. So, I mean, there's 
trauma for so many different reasons. So it doesn't just have to be domestic violence or sexual abuse or recovering addiction. There's so many forms. And so if you feel comfortable talking about what you you know need help with, then I'd be happy to help you with that. But yeah, so those are the those are the main things. It's, you know, my website, you can work with me there. Or if you just need, you know, a helping hand, you can connect on my TikTok or my Instagram as well. Great, D'Angela. Thank you. And um, I hope people do reach out to you. And um, we will put all those links in the show notes. So it'll be easy for people to reach out to you and find you. Yeah. I want to just thank you wholeheartedly for sharing your story today and, you know, just choosing to use your voice in such a powerful way and for being such a positive person in my life and in the Three and a Half Acres Yoga Organization. Is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? No, I think, you know, really great conversation overall. And again, I'm so, so grateful to really be a part of your life. And, you know, when you had asked, is there any positive influences in your life now? It's, yeah, I mean, you're definitely one of them. And then all of my people that I've met since my healing has started, anyone in my, you know, yoga journeys and like where I first got trained in universal power yoga. And there's so many different people that I've met since I've been able to really recognize my capabilities that have really helped mold me into who I am today. So I'm just really grateful. Yeah, well, we're grateful for you. And so many good takeaways. Let's not forget what if affirmations. I love that. And your what ifs have happened for you. So thank you, D'Angela. Yeah, of course. Thank you. As we buzz around the busy world, it becomes clear there are billions of paths. As we buzz around the busy world, we will appear in other people's photographs. As we speed through the centuries, we will collide and the light will bend. We will be accidentally immortalized in someone else's land.